1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your Thursday headlines. U.S. futures look stronger this hour, but Asian markets lack conviction. President Trump warning more difficult days are to come as the death toll spikes, and more than 80% of the country is now put
2: into lockdown. Especially a few days from now that are going to be horrific. My administration is taking new action to ensure that America has the medical resources and equipment needed to fight the global pandemic.
1: Markets focus on today's jobless claims number, which could show five million out of work after U.S. factory activity dropped into contraction territory and auto sales fell off a cliff.
3: President Trump will meet with U.S. energy chiefs in Washington as Whiting Petroleum files for Chapter 11, the first major oil bankruptcy of the crisis. British Airways reportedly prepares to suspend 36,000 employees as part of a deal with the union that will put 80 percent of the workforce on furlough.
4: And the British prime minister Boris Johnson vows to increase coronavirus testing as the government admits only 2,000 frontline NHS staff have so far been checked.
0: I want to say a special word about testing because it is so important and as I've said for for weeks and weeks, this is the way through. This is how we will unlock the coronavirus puzzle. This is how we will defeat it in the end.
3: A very warm welcome to Squawk Box. Thank you for joining us this morning. Let's get right into our top stories. More than 80% of Americans are now under lockdown after four new states imposed stay-at-home directives. Florida, Georgia, Nevada, and Mississippi are the latest to only allow essential outings, bringing the total to 39. This, as authorities confirmed over 215,000 cases of the virus with over 4,800 fatalities. President Trump said he is not concerned Considering a nationwide directive. However, the U.S. leader added, that he is weighing a plan to close down flights in and out of hotspots, while warning Americans the next couple of weeks will be horrific. Uh,
1: U.S. manufacturing activity contracted in March due to the disruptions caused by the virus. The ISM's manufacturing PMI dropped to 49.1. New orders fell to an 11-year low. Private companies cut 27,000 jobs before most of the shutdowns came into force, according to a report from ADP. In the auto sector, Fiat Chrysler reported a 10% dip in sales. General Motors put in a 7% drop as the outbreak hit car demand. More employment data from March will be released this week. Reuters estimating non-farm payrolls will fall by 100,000 jobs and the unemployment rate will rise to 3.8%. Weekly jobless claims are also seen jumping to 3.5 million.
3: Let's uh, get a check on what we've been seeing in global markets over the last 24 hours. We did see some heavy selling yesterday across the globe in the first trading session of the new quarter. Investors weighing up new estimates around the toll, the economic and human toll the uh, global pandemic will have. And now looking at U.S. futures, we're in for a bit of a bounce back this morning. You can see there all three major averages are poised to rally today at the open. One of the key focal points for investors today will be that jobless claims report that Jeff just outlined Investors looking for a pretty steep rise, yet again, more claims than we saw last week with those 3.3 million Americans claiming unemployment benefits. Let's get back to the action we saw yesterday, though, and see where we're going to be picking up. Uh, We're looking at losses across the three major averages here. The Dow losing nearly 1,000 points yesterday. The S&P 500 down 4.4%. All 11 S&P 500 sectors were in negative territory. In terms of best and worst performers, utilities was the worst-performing sector, Interestingly, Staples was the best, so not a clear uh, tel- a, a clear trend when it comes to those defensive versus cyclical parts of the market. And then the tech-heavy Nasdaq, right in line with the other major indices, that was down 4.4% yesterday. Also, just want to put it, put this out there that the Russell 2000 index, this is a small caps index, that index underperformed the broader market, down 7% yesterday, a reflection of the renewed concern around credit worthiness in the U.S. Despite that two trillion dollar stimulus package, so. A lot of execution risk still involved there when we think about how that stimulus will filter through to the real economy. Let's take a look at the overnight session, Asian trading, a bit of a lackluster session coming together here. Investors clearly looking for conviction. We've got the Shanghai Composite up about a third of a percent. Over in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng trading about two-tenths of a percent lower, and the Nikkei 225 lagging 1.35% down. Oil markets. Some pretty big news in the oil, on the energy front with President Trump saying that he expects a Saudi-Russia deal soon. He's invited those oil, uh, those energy chiefs to the White House, as we just outlined there for you in the headlines. And we are seeing a bounce in the price of oil on the back of those developments. WTI trading 5.3% higher, back above $21 per barrel. Opening calls for Europe. Europe was no exception yesterday in terms of the pressure, the selling pressure we saw right alongside that rebound we're seeing in U.S. futures. We are poised to see a bounce in European markets as well. All four of these major regions, the UK, Germany, France and Italy, are all uh, expecting to rise at the open today. Jeff.
1: Thanks very much for that. Morgan Stanley, chairman and CEO James Gorman, told CNBC the impact of the outbreak has already put the U.S. into an economic downturn.
4: If you're having three million unemployment claims uh, spike in a week, you're clearly you're clearly in a recession. I, you know, whatever the tactic te- technical moment of inflection point, you know we're we're going to have a global recession. I've been I felt this a month ago, and uh, you know that that's clear. The issue is not do we have a recession; it's we are having a recession. The issue is how well do we rebound.
1: James Gorman there. Michael O'Sullivan joins us uh, on the line from Zurich. He's former CIO of International Wealth Management at Credit Suisse and author of The Leveling, What's Next After Globalisation. Michael, let's come to you then on on just uh, where we are at this point in the economic story, because as you point out in your notes, uh, we were in Perhaps the late stages of a very long expansion, and we've had this uh, economic crisis which has been caused by the shutdowns related to coronavirus. What does your scenario planning tell us about what happens next?
2: Good morning, Jeff. Um, so I, I've got three scenarios the The most optimistic is that it's, uh, uh, it's over by the end of Easter and I think that that's a, a low probability scenario at, at this stage. Uh, the, the more pessimistic one is that we have to wait uh, until winter for economies to begin to uh, to recover. That's a much more more bleak one, where where we're in a kind of a uh, a global depression. Um, and I think the the main scenario, as far as I'm concerned, is that by mid summer. Um, the the effects of the virus are, are passing. Um, they're passing slowly because it's it's proven difficult to prosecute a a lockdown in emerging countries and perhaps to an extent the U.S. as well. Uh, and and for me the real arbiter is how much economic uh, and credit related damage is. Uh, so I think if you if you're seeing many businesses um, uh, sadly go bust by let's say May June. Uh, then you get into a very uh nasty kind of credit slump which affects the uh, the banks uh, so i think uh policy urgency uh public health care uh urgency uh are are really the watchwords at the moment uh, and in terms of markets, it probably means that you don't see the bottom in the stock market, probably for another couple of months until people really have a strong sense that the the worst of the credit risk uh, is over. And as you say, we've come into this uh, after maybe nine or 10 years of expansion, at least in the US, Uh, and that's a difficulty because it's very hard to get growth going again when you're in that latter stage of the business cycle uh, and people have already been making uh, investments. So it's actually quite hard to find new opportunities. And, And I think there's a,
1: so that's the optimistic, which doesn't sound that optimistic. But just taking a look at your um, other scenarios here, the the ones that run into the winter, I mean, one of the features of this crisis, and as we hear President Trump in the headlines, again, he almost seems surprised by what's going on as he tries to calm the uh, people of America. But it does seem that Western authorities have been struggling to anticipate what comes next in this story, even as we already have a template provided by China at this point. Given that we seem to be running to catch up constantly in Western governments, does that suggest that maybe your winter scenario looks more likely at this point?
2: Uh, it, it, it has to be taken seriously. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the words of the Queen uh, in the last uh, recession when she asked people, "Did no one see it coming?" Uh, and we go back maybe six weeks. Apple had a pro- uh, had a profit warning uh, related to the coronavirus in China, and no one took any notice. Remember, the stock was down one and a half percent that that day. So there has been a degree of uh, complacency, and the defining. I think characteristic of this crisis is its speed. Uh, markets have fallen by the same amount as they fell in the dot-com dot com crisis, which we, we remember, uh, but they've fallen in 16 days, not 16 months. Uh, so the, the, the only, I think, watchword policymakers can have is uh, is speed, uh, not to be in, in denial. Uh, we've already had a, a lot from the, the central banks, but I think uh, in Europe and the States, the fiscal response... Uh, needs to pick up. And I think the next phase of this now is going to be a, a, a very side one, which is the humanitarian uh, side, not just uh, from a healthcare point of view, but people, uh, you know, you, you, you yes, yes.
4: Yeah, Michael, thank you. Yeah, I'm I, absolutely right. The humanitarian stage, and we need to get past that, of course, and, and stop this devastating loss of life uh, on a daily basis. But very interesting. I wondered if you saw the comments from uh, Lord King yesterday, the former governor of the central bank, and you were just referring to the central banks there. Uh, he said the government needs an exit strategy, and it's unrealistic uh, to lock down the UK economy and other company, uh, economies for months and months on end. A, do you agree with uh, Lord King? Because I think he's looking more at the economic side of it, in the medium term, uh, and B, what would that exit strategy look like?
2: OK, so one, one lesson we've learned so far is that in countries where politicians have been clear, where they've communicated well with uh, with people, I think my own country, Ireland, is, is maybe an example, uh, you, you've, you've had a high degree of civil uh, obedience. So I think people want is uh, a sense of clarity and a sense of, uh, of honesty. Uh, at this stage, politicians don't have... Um, Uh, they they don't have certainty on on the outcomes. Uh, So so what what I would propose is maybe talk uh, in terms of scenarios. I think when we get two or three more weeks down the line, you will see businesses uh, get more nervous uh, and you will see people begin to trade off the the public health uh, versus the the economic aspects. Uh, And that may force um, people to make some quite hard decisions.
4: Uh, and, and I attracted a little bit of attention on Twitter yesterday from people who were bemoaning my stance where I said, actually, it's the right thing that the banks cut their dividends now. People were saying, well, I'm going to lose my pension income. And whilst I have great empathy uh, for their financial situation as well, uh, if you don't have the banks in a strong financial situation, then they can't lend, then you can't have the fuel of the economy. Where do you stand on this debate about what the companies should be doing with any excess capital they may have at the moment? And I'm not just talking about the banks.
2: Uh, I I, I think that the the last five or six years uh, have been a great lesson in companies, and many of them in the States, using excess cash and and even free cash flow to to buy back shares um, and not to invest in in the the so-called real economy. Uh, And the lessons of that are coming home to roost. Uh, Airlines is one example. Um, So I, I tend to side with regulators here. I also think this is a time for Uh, The banking sector to prove itself in terms of the the strength of balance sheets, but also to prove itself in terms of public policy uh, and how they function as a a channel um, for stimulus into the economy uh, and also how they they regain their, their reputations.
3: Michael, you talk about this being an opportunity for the banking sector to prove itself. I I think it's also an opportunity for uh, countries and national governments to prove themselves. And there's a lot of debate now around whether this crisis is going to lead to a change in the world order. What's your take here? Are we going to see a real shift in the power structure of, you know, the the global economy here on the back of what's happening?
2: So I I think very briefly, I think what what this crisis has done, it's, it's ended globalization. Um, and we're now i think quite quite firmly in this kind of multipolar uh, world where many regions uh disappointingly i think are look to be fending for themselves uh, most crises i re- i remember in, in in the last two decades were ones where you had a, a sense of international community and you've had a sort of a sense of uh, inverted commas a committee to save the world uh, and you haven't had this, that uh, this time there's been uh, communication between the, uh, the big regions, no coordination uh, and even coordination within countries between monetary and fiscal policy hasn't been great. So that, that's not a very good steer for the future. And people have to learn from that very quickly.
1: Michael, we've got to say goodbye to you, but thanks so much for your help this morning. Uh, we'll catch up on another day. Michael O'Sullivan, former CIO of Investment Wealth Management at Credit Suisse and author of The Leveling. Uh, Moving on here, we're going to hear from how one of Wall Street's biggest banks is managing the fallout from the pandemic later today. Our US colleagues sit down with Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon. That interview coming up at 14.45 CET.
3: And we'll get more insight into the Federal Reserve's handling of the outbreak when Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan speaks to CNBC at 1530 CET. So that's your afternoon sorted for you. Well, find out how the world's top CEOs are dealing with the coronavirus outbreak with the Squawk Box podcast. You can get it all in all of the obvious places.
4: Plus, we'll discuss what's going right and what's going wrong with UK policy at the moment, including the lack of testing for NHS frontline workers. We'll also discuss the role in the modelling of from the epidemiologists, uh, including those from Imperial College London, and the importance that is having for policy on both sides of the Atlantic. Stay tuned to Scorebox.
3: Welcome back to the program. Chinese authorities have started to report asymptomatic cases for the first time on Wednesday. The numbers have raised questions over the mainland's tally of cases. President Trump says he is in constant communication with President Xi.
2: the numbers seem to be a little bit on the light side. And I'm being nice when I say that relative to what we witnessed and what was reported. But we discussed that with him. Not so much the numbers as what they did and how they're doing. And we're in constant communication with, uh, I mean, I would say the biggest communication is myself and President Xi. The relationship's very good as to whether or not their numbers are accurate. uh, I'm not an accountant from China.
1: Uh, The World Health Organization has warned the number of confirmed infections will hit 1 million globally within days with 50,000 deaths forecast. The Director General said he is deeply concerned about the rapid escalation and global spread. So far, over 930,000 cases have been confirmed. There have been 46,000 deaths. The virus death toll in the UK rose by more than 560 on Wednesday, taking the total number to over 2,300. New cases rose by just over 4,300 from the previous day.
3: UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has promised to ramp up testing to, quote, unlock the coronavirus puzzle and ultimately defeat it. His promise follows criticism of the government over its perceived failure to carry out enough tests, particularly on NHS frontliners. The government is aiming to be able to carry out some 15,000 tests per day by the end of this week. Johnson, who is currently self-isolating after being diagnosed with COVID-19, said in an online video that ramping up testing would help the UK return to normal sooner.
0: What we need to do is uh, massively ramp up, not just tests, so that you can know whether you've had the disease in the past, the so-called antibody test, because that will enable you to go to work in the confidence that you can't uh, be infected or or infectious. Second, uh, people need to know uh, whether they haven't got it uh, rather than isolating themselves at home uh, for no reason. And that's very, very important above all for our NHS staff. And of course, it's crucial uh, that people who do have the disease are able uh, to, to be tested positive and to take the necessary steps to isolate at home in, uh, in the way that I am doing and many, many others are doing as well.
3: Steve, it it seems pretty clear listening to experts, listening to Boris Johnson there, that testing is crucial right now. This is the way to combat the virus in its current stage. Why is the UK lagging so far behind when it comes to testing?
4: Yeah, that's a very good question as well. And look, um, one has to be sympathetic to all governments, let's face it as well. This is an unprecedented situation, but their degrees of preparedness uh, vary enormously from right at the top of the tree, the likes of the South Koreans who learnt their lessons from MERS and SARS, uh, and the Germans as well, uh, right down to the British who are somewhere in the middle of the league table at the moment. Quite frankly, nowhere near the level of tests that the government has promised or should be doing are taking place. And that's the blunt truth. The fact is, as uh, I'm sure our viewers know, the National Health Service is one of the largest employers, not just in the UK, but on the planet. There's over a million people working for the NHS. And uh, as of uh, yesterday, only 2000 plus uh, of those NHS frontline staff have been tested as well. So the key priority is getting, uh, according to the Prime Minister and others, getting those who are self-isolating from the NHS who are doing so needlessly because they haven't actually got coronavirus but have similar symptoms, getting them back on the front line. That is the first priority as well. Now, the Public Health England Medical Director, Professor, Yvonne uh, Doyle yesterday said, look, she is very confident they can get to 25,000 tests per day by the end of the month. But this comes on the back of the fact that already uh, they're falling below what they could be testing because there are the the abilities in the UK to test over 12,000 people and they're only testing around about 8,630 as of Monday. And we've all seen the pictures uh, of Chessington, which is a a former amusement park, uh, and um, Wembley where you have an Ikea store. Both have very Large car parks. That's why they were chosen for drive-in tests for NHS staff. But many NHS staff were um, basically just told they couldn't come through and have a test because they didn't have a booked-in appointment slot uh, and official letter as well. So a little bit of a debacle, I'm afraid, on that front as well. But as you've seen, the Prime Minister. Uh, and indeed uh, Mr Hancock, Matt Hancock uh, and Yvonne Doyle saying absolutely key to get the testing up and running as well. Um, I just want to reference where I am actually, I think it's um, it, it's probably worth doing so. Uh, in better times I would say to you this is one of the most amazing parts of London for everyone to come to. It's part of the old Albertopolis complex so to speak as well. You've got Imperial College behind me but also Royal Albert Hall, you've got the Natural History Museum, the Science Museum, just some of the absolute gems uh, of the UK and the London tourist scene as well, but actually Imperial College is one of the most important institutions in terms of epidemiology and the modelling for coronavirus on the planet as well. Um, very famous Professor Neil Ferguson, it was his piece, his seminal piece in the middle of March that got both Boris Johnson and indeed uh, perhaps uh, policymakers in the Trump administration to take note uh, of the devastating numbers that could uh, be um, infected and could die from coronavirus if indeed uh, policies weren't changed. I mean, you'll recall the his modeling, convinced them for a tougher crackdown, saying that 250,000 people in the UK could die uh, and 1.2 million in the US uh, if indeed um, the, uh, the, the, the change of strategy wasn't enacted, including social distancing and isolation. He said suppression is the only viable strategy at the current time. Now, spin forward uh, to this week. And Professor Ferguson was actually more um, optimistic at the start uh, of the week, saying it seems that the social distancing measures across Europe. Are are suppressing COVID-19 and may have uh, averted already up to 120,000 deaths. That said, and this is very interesting, said in the UK 2.7% of the population 1.8 million people could actually already have or have had coronavirus so early signs that they were reducing the spread these social distancing measures but of course in the last couple of days we've seen devastating numbers including 563 deaths the biggest daily total yet in the UK taking up to 2352. Thank
1: you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
4: For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com.